Hi everyone, I'm Wendy Muse, creator of the Left Pocket Project, which brings you the history of leftists of color one swipe at a time. And this is the Left Pocket Project podcast. You'll notice that the sound is a little bit different. That is because I am recording in my den. Um, I have sort of like a makeshift recording space on the couch. I'm trying to surround myself. You'll hear me moving around a bit, but I'm, I'm trying to surround myself with pillows as a sort of like insulation measure. We'll see if this actually works or makes things worse. Um, but I am back. Last night was kind of rough. I was very tired. Um, as some of you may know, I commute back and forth on the train between um, Baltimore and New York City to teach. And so I wake up very early in the morning to get to campus and then come back late afternoon. And then on some nights, like Wednesdays, I go um, late morning and then come back late at night. So tonight I got home at like 10 o'clock, um, which is why I'm settling in right now at 11.43 to uh, record this Podmas episode. So again, sorry about last night. I, I got home and I was super tired and just like fell out on the couch. <laughs> I was so tired. Um, and by the time I woke up, it was late, like well past midnight. So I said, let me just scrap for tonight. I've got to do other stuff like domestic work. Um, <laughs> put stuff in the dishwasher and to put things away and wash clothes and whatnot. Um, so I needed to do that last night instead of Podmas. It was very important for me to get those things done. So tonight I am multitasking. I usually am multitasking actually, but not during Podmas. Usually I take the time to record the Podmas just by itself. Um, and I'm not doing other things while I'm doing that, but today I'm doing two things. So one, I am cooking food in the oven, roasting some veggies for my child because she's going to school tomorrow. Very excited about that. Um, because as you know, she's been out for the week, um, out for a week, I should say, because of a COVID infection at her school. So two kids got COVID and then they had to shut things down. And so, um, she's going back tomorrow, which is really exciting. She kept testing negative for COVID, which was also very exciting. And I hope to keep it that way. Hopefully we don't bring COVID back into the house somehow or into the house, I should say for the first time. Um, so my fingers are crossed on that front. Although I don't know, every day feels like I'm playing Russian roulette, you know, like the bullet is COVID and you just keep spinning the barrel of the gun and hoping for the best. And it's, it's really scary. I mean, because right now my daughter is the one who poses the greatest like outside risk to us because we still do grocery store pickup. You know, my husband and I wear N95 masks everywhere. Um, when we have to go to the doctor N95 masks, when I commute to New York N95 masks, you know what I mean? So like, I'm very like hyper cautious. Um, I even wear like with the Omicron stuff, I wear an N95 outside now, um, in New York, just because the sidewalk is so crowded, you can't, you're, you're breathing in everybody else's air despite your being outside. Um, so I just keep the mask on. I get off the train, I keep the mask on, you know, walk to class. I'll have maybe two, two seconds outside where I move the mask, drink some water, put my lip gloss on and put my mask back on to go to teach. So that's, 
that's where the stage that we're at right now in terms of the level of protection and precaution that we're taking. Um, so sending our daughter to school is like really scary on that front because she is too young to wear a mask still. Um, and you know, she's interacting with kids of different ages. Um, so, you know, and like aftercare and stuff, so she can always get some, I mean, and even, even the kids in her own group, of course, if they get it from home, bring it to school, they're, none of them are masks. So, she can get it from one of them and then she can bring it home to us. So it's a little bit scary um, or a lot scary, <laughs> even though we're vaccinated um, and boosted and all that jazz. We just don't want to get COVID. I mean, I would prefer not to get COVID if I can avoid it. And if they're, especially as we don't know the long term, like we don't have a, we don't have a real full understanding of the long term side effects yet. Um, even of mild cases of COVID, because I keep hearing about people who get mild cases of COVID and then have life, like have very long-term, uh, you know, side effects. It's just kind of scary. So anyway, enough about COVID. I, I feel like all I talk about is COVID and that's just because it's always on my mind. It's constant concern. Um, that's kind of what happens when you have a child and you actually like follow the stuff that's going on. And if you have your own, you know, comorbidities or health issues or whatever. Um, yeah, COVID's always kind of scary and on the mind, but anyway, excited about her going back to school. Uh, that'll be nice. Um, she can have a break from us. We can have a break, uh, because it's been this, this past week has been really difficult because, you know, my husband and I don't have family here. We don't have like a babysitter or a nanny or something like that. And, we don't have a, we would, I guess under normal circumstances have had someone be a babysitter, like if we needed to go somewhere or whatever without our daughter. But, um, I don't believe in having a nanny and stuff. It's just not for me. And so I didn't want that, but, um, because of COVID we don't want either, right? We don't, we don't want a nanny for sure, but we definitely also don't want a babysitter. So we've just been taking care of her ourselves all the time. And, um, that meant this past week that my husband who works from home attempted to work from home while taking care of our daughter who is, um, almost two. And then I left, you know, I worked out of the house and came home, um, and then would take care of her when I got home. So it's kind of, um, or on days that I wasn't working. So it's, it's been a rough week. Um, and we've done the best that we can, but you know, my heart goes out to the parents who, left their jobs because of closure, school closures last year, um, or who just were, you know, saw themselves being unable to do work while also having, having children at home just in general, um, even if they weren't going to school. And I, I recognize how hard that is, um, because I had my daughter right before lockdown, pretty much gave birth right before lockdown in our state. Um, and it was, it was very difficult. We didn't know what we were going to do. We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know how things were going to turn out. Um, and we, we didn't have, we don't have family here. Um, so yeah, it's, that's why it's on my mind a lot. <laughs> it's just been a, it's been a rough couple of years. Um, so anyway, on to today's topic. I actually want to talk about yet another rough topic, um, but I want to talk about debt today. And I think, you know, there are multiple forms of debt. I'm going to be talking about financial debt in this case, but, um, you know, <laughs> I, I think it's fascinating the degree of debt that we're expected to take on and then not feel anything about or not see it as an, an excessive burden for a big chunk of the population and how that's just getting worse and worse. 
So the other day I was talking to my students, you know, and I asked them just out of curiosity, like this is a couple weeks ago. I said, what are you paying here at NYU? Like how much are you paying for a school? And they're undergrads. And they told me $84,000 a year. I straight up almost fell out of my chair. I literally, I could not believe it. I had seen reports talking about schools being $70,000-ish, which was already absurd. But when they said $84,000, I just, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what are you paying for? Why is it that expensive? You know, like you're paying the rent on these buildings in Manhattan. That's what you're paying for. You know, you're not paying for your education. And it's really unfortunate because while I think, of course, there are amazing professors and TAs and researchers and stuff at NYU, that goes without saying. But I don't think any education anywhere, even if it's at Harvard or Yale or whatever, should cost that much um, at any point in time. (laughs) And I just thought to myself, you know, like all of these kids are going to go out of, unless they're, you know, wealthy, many of them, if not all of them are going to leave school with debt and like considerable debt. And then when I look at job applications, you know, they're not paying people that much. Like the average middle-class job, you know, an office job fresh out of college or whatever, they're not paying that much. You know, they're still paying what they paid us 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, like it's appalling. I have, I looked at, you know, just kind of thinking about what I was earning right out of college. I worked for a corporate law firm um, in the billing department, believe it or not. It's kind of weird to think about myself doing that now, especially considering my switch in politics. Um, I went from being, you know, kind of standard issue liberal uh, to someone who is firmly on the left now. But I think that, yeah, when I look back on it, I said, wow, I made decent money, especially for a fresh out of college graduate. Um, and yet now I'm looking at salaries and kids are getting the same amount of money. And that I graduated from college in 2006. So it's just absurd to me that, that despite inflation, despite accelerating um, costs, in higher education. I mean, the jobs when they get out of school, if there are any, are not that, they're not well-paying. Um, and in, in order for you to get a well-paying job, you have to go to law school or med school or whatever. You have to have some sort of professional degree, which also puts you into further debt. Um, and which is why so many attorneys, when they get out of law school, go straight into corporate because they know that they can't pay back their loans if they were to go into like a style of law that's a little bit more on the left or the liberal side, right? Um, you know, civil rights law or worker, like work-related law or tenants law, stuff like that. If you're doing things to represent the people, you're not going to make a ton of money. Um, if you're representing corporations, which function like their people in the, in the laws in this country, you're going to make a lot of money and you're going to make enough money to cover your loans or your debt, more specifically, um, from undergrad and from law school or med school. Um, and I say debt, not just loans, but debt in general, because debt comes in a variety of forms. It's not just student loans, right? You have debt from moving expenses. You may have debt from other things you had to pay for in college. You may have credit card debt from college. Um, you may have debt from housing that you had to procure in college. So there are lots of things and lots of areas where you can have debt, debt from supply costs, debt from books, debt from God forbid, like any sort of purchases you have to make as a college student, of which there are many, um, you may be in debt over, especially if you come from a family that's not wealthy, right? Um, And you can work 
every day of your life in college and still not be able to make up the debt for $84,000 a year for four years of schooling. I still can't believe the number. Like that is just so, so absurd to me that anyone would be paying $240,000 or $250,000 for four years of undergraduate studies and then not be able to get out of school and make what they made or they had to pay per year. So like, for example, if you graduate from, if you graduate from college and your college costs $84,000 a year, you should be making $84,000 a year when you graduate. That should be the starting salary at this point. You know, if they're going to be, if they're going to keep it consistent and fair, then that's what you should be making, you know, 80 to $90,000 a year as a secretary or whatever you're going to do out of college. Because it's absurd to me that these students have no way, like literally no way, unless they become, you know, like day traders or some sort of like they become a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, they're not going to be able to make up that money if they're just, as I said, doing an average middle-class job, an office job, white collar, but not um, what they call quote-unquote professional career track, right? And then to make matters worse, if you decide to go into academia as a professor and you're not like a business or a law professor or something, you're not some sort of rock star professor, if you want to teach English or if you want to, um, you know, teach history or something like that, anything in the humanities or social sciences, you're not going to be making a lot of money either. <laughs> the starting salaries for assistant professors nowadays, it's, it's laughable. And they don't even post them most of the time, as I've mentioned before. So usually you don't find out how much you're going to earn until you're, you know, a knee deep in the interview process. And then they reveal it to you. And then you're like, oh, well, I could just be a secretary and make more than that, right? And Maybe I won't be as fulfilled on in an intellectual way being a secretary, but I'll be fulfilled in my personal life because I won't have work over the weekends and I won't have all this additional stuff that I have to apply for to have money. I won't have to apply and beg for money to do my research. I won't have to beg and, you know, like there's so many things and you can still get insurance benefits and you can still get your basic needs met just being a secretary and making the same amount of money as if you were to study for, you know, almost a decade, if not more of your life to dedicate your work to these sorts of research and studies and whatnot. And then, you know, after all that time, <laughs> in some cases, very precious time, you come out and you're going to be making less than you made as an undergrad fresh out of, or uh, sorry, as a, as a fresh out of college, uh, you know, 21 year old working in New York. So there are some times where I look at the grand scheme of things. And I just think like, why not just become a secretary? You know, why not just like change my resume, apply for jobs based on my previous law experience. And, uh, you know, not put that I'm getting a PhD because they don't need to know that. And then just go be a secretary and then I'll make enough money to afford my basic needs here. And, you know, covering my mortgage and covering utilities and stuff. And then my husband's income will help and then we'll, we'll be fine. We'll just have a regular life, a nine to five life. And then I can come home and spend time with my child and, you know, have, have free time on the weekends and I won't be having to apply for money. I won't have to ask someone to pay me. It'll be automatic that I get paid, um, for my work as it should be. I won't have to be applying for grants or scholarships or anything like that to get support. And then if I want to travel, 
You know, I save a little money here and there. I take a vacation. I go travel. I go where I need to go. And then, oh yeah, holidays I'll have off. I won't have to be doing research or work over my holidays. So there are just so many advantages to just having a regular, regular job um, that is a middle-class, you know, earning white-collar job. There, there's, I, I get it, you know. Um, I get the comfort in that, and I understand why people who you know, why, why you would just come out of college and want something like that instead of having to do more work, more schooling, which means more debt, and then potentially not even get a job after all of that. Because if you look at the prospects right now for certain positions in history, you know, many of us are saying, well, there are jobs, but we don't want to, we don't want to move or there are jobs, but it's not exactly my field and there are jobs, but they're so competitive right now because everyone and their mother is applying for a job in ways that we've never seen before. So it's a hypersaturated field, particularly right now, because so many students went into grad school during the Great Recession because they couldn't get jobs. So they went straight from undergrad into grad school or they like took a, like in my case, I took, I worked out of college and then I, um, took a year and worked and lived in Brazil. And then when I came back, I worked for a nonprofit and then I decided to go to grad school. That was a quite a longer trajectory than most have. Um, but at the same time, there were many people who were just graduating in let's say 2008 to between 2008 and 2010 who were just met with no job prospects whatsoever. And so they went straight to grad school um, or they went into debt or both. Um, and, you know, now those people are in the process of ending their PhD, applying for jobs. And, you, you know, for the past few years, they've been coming out of professional programs and PhD programs and, and master's programs. And you're seeing a hypersaturated academic field. Um or field of academia, I should say, um, for the humanities in particular. And so then we look at the situation and we say, you know, I think there's been a sort of shrug, not by young people who are having to pay the debt, but by those who are older, by people who are in office, um, by, of course, the loan companies. They don't care what happens to us either way. But when we look at the situation, you know, there's not very much sympathy for the people who did everything right. Right, we were told from birth, go to college, you gotta go to college, you gotta go to college, you gotta go to college. Your ancestors died, so you could go to college and that you could have a better life than us, and that you can get married and you can have a child and you can have a house and you can have and like all these goals that our parents and our great our grandparents and our great grandparents had for us, right? And then we fulfill those things, and yet we come out wondering, now what do we get for it? Right? We did everything right. We got good grades, we went to college, we went to grad school. We got the, the boyfriend or the husband or the house or the child or whatever. Now what, right? What is the answer? What's the end result other than what we look at, at in the mirror every day? Tired, exhausted, and trying to figure out what's the point of doing all that I do every day? You know, we, we don't have any rewards in this struggle. And I think that's what's so frustrating for people and why people are just snapping over these sorts of, this sort of debt. And don't even get me started on for-profit colleges. Um, that's a whole other racket, which, um, you know, people have written on and, and talk about rather frequently. But, um, you know, I think loans in particular are just so damning. And then, of course, if you talk about medical debt, that's a whole other conversation, right? So right now I find myself in both medical debt and school, like student loan debt. So 
story time. When I was in college, you know, I went from being in Memphis, Tennessee, which is where I was born and raised, to going to school in New York. We didn't have any friends or family in New York, so I would have to stay in the dorm. Um, I didn't want to risk trying to get an apartment because I had heard already just through a grapevine that that's very difficult. Um, and so, and also in New York, they usually don't allow out of state guarantorships. So if my mother wanted to be my guarantor, she wouldn't have even been able to, if she wanted to, although she didn't have a lot of money either. And then, um, you know, friends of mine and whatnot were going through something similar. Many of them were taking out loans or doing things like that, um, to kind of get through college. But when I went to college, I had a full scholarship by full, you know, full academic scholarship. And the only thing I had to pay for was food and my dorm. And the dorms were $10,000 a year. This was in 2002. I have no idea. don't even want to know how much they cost now. But in 2002, it was $10,000 for the year to stay in the dorms. I stayed in a nice dorm. It was an apartment-style dorm with two other girls. And we got along well. Everything was fine. Or three other girls. Sorry. It was like a big suite. And we did fine. Um, but, and I didn't want to think about it at the time, but that year to stay in the dorms cost me $10,000. Now, if I had stayed in real life in someone's apartment with multiple people like that, I wouldn't be paying nearly as much, but we had to. And so then I, after she moved, I, I'm sorry, or after I moved, um, after I finished my first and then second year, I went on to be an RA and I didn't have to pay for housing then. But the problem was that I had debt now. I had $20,000 of debt from housing and then a few thousand from food, like when you get the meal plan. And so I would have to pay that, but I said, I'm not going to think about it now. And you know, who's sitting on $20,000 anyway? I mean, I guess some people are, but I didn't have just $20,000. So I didn't want to pay them right away. And because I grew up not having a ton of, not really any financial guidance, I didn't know that I should start paying the interest while I'm, you know, waiting to pay the rest. I just didn't know to do that. And so now I think my loans are like $40,000. haven't looked at them in a while. I don't even want to think about it. But they've doubled in price, perhaps more than that. Um, and now I have to, at some point when I graduate, come up with a way to pay for that if I don't get a job right away out of grad school. And then the other problem, of course, is medical debt. So I have lots of medical debt from having a child, which like, congratulations, you have a baby and now you owe all this money, which is really an unfortunate um, side of becoming a parent in the United States. Almost always, if you have a hospital birth and even if you have a home birth, I mean, depending on where you have it, how it happens, et cetera. But if you have to have personnel, um, hospital personnel or people that cost money, and even if you have if you have a hospital birth, obviously you have to cost you have to pay for all the, the services and things like that that you get while you're there. And while it was I had a positive experience, but it was not worth, you know, forty five thousand dollars, which is what we paid off the jump for Harriet for off the jump for our daughter. And then on top of that, you know, especially if you have a C section, which I had to in my case that ups the ante, you pay more, more money in thousands for that. And so ultimately just for like a year, I would say even less than that, like three months when Harriet was, she was in the NICU for two weeks or sorry, she was in the NICU for three weeks total. But if she had been there another week or two, she would have been there for months. And I don't even want to think about how much that would cost. So yeah, it's just, 
terrifying. Um, the idea of insurance shouldn't be like this, and everyone should have equal access to it, A. But then B, even if they do have access to it, it should not be expensive. Because doing things like this is only, it only serves a purpose to harm. And I'm not really sure what else, what other purpose there is. It's not to teach us responsibility, because we already were responsible in going to college and going to grad school, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not sure other than to, you know, continue to entrap us and other people, other students younger than us, to be forced into debt early on. And it's a type of bondage that's, you know, very much tied up in jobs because you need a job to have insurance and you need a job to get paid so that you can pay off your debt. And then if you want to go into any specialization or whatever, you know, you have to be careful because you want to make sure you make enough money to pay off your debt. If you have any medical issues health-wise and you end up in the hospital for any reason, including having a child, you're going to have debt. If you have major health problems, you're definitely going to have debt. You're going to have debt. Your family's going to have debt. Everyone's going to go into debt. And so, you know, then the, the cycle continues, right? You go into debt. You borrow against that debt to have additional money that's cash so that you can live your life and function. But at the same time, it just continues to, you know, take you down a downward spiral of further and further and further debt. And so, you know, <laughs> the answer to this is very simple. The government can afford to eradicate all of this debt, wipe it out in one fell swoop, but they're not going to do that because they're obsessed and they're up the butts of these loan companies. Um, they don't really care what happens to the population. All this money on a very simple economic standpoint could go back into the system if they just paid off people's debt. They could go back to being prosperous economically and afford to pay debts and then pay, like not only would they, if it's wiped, obviously you don't have to pay it, pay for it, but they can pay for other debts. They can buy things, right? They can consume. And then you're going to see major economic turnaround. But it's like the U.S. doesn't want to see that. They don't want any change. Change is too scary here because it disrupts major industries. And when major industries are disrupted, of course, According to them, they have the right to treat us as they so choose. Okay, so I actually fell asleep just now, and I'm so tired that I started talking about Squid Game without uh, mentioning the character's names or calling it Squid Game. I guess because I'm talking about debt in this uh, <laughs> in this episode. Spoiler alert, by the way. Uh, but, you know, you get that pretty much in like the first five minutes of the, the show. But anyway, I think that's my sign that I need to go to sleep or at least take a nap before I get up and do my other work. Um, so like once I'm done with this food that I'm cooking for my daughter for school tomorrow, I should probably take a little nap. But I don't know if I should do that. To be honest, I'm kind of scared because I need to wake up um, at 530 tomorrow to get ready to go to school <laughs> so, to commute to New York. Um, and it's it's like 12.15 right now, so I don't know if that's a good idea, but we'll see. I may end up having so much work to do tonight that I don't go to sleep at all, but again, we'll see. Anyway, I think that's my sign to go, but um, more Podmas coming up soon. As I said, we're going to have start having some interviews now that my daughter's going back to school and I can have a little bit of calm um, during the day, and also school's about to end for me in terms of teaching, so I will be at home during the day um, and can sneak in some recordings with guests at that time. Um, I also am going to be doing a new left POC of the or left POC of the week 
this weekend um, for the following week. If you haven't checked it out already, um, check out the episodes on Teresa Santos, who was um, this and last week's Left POC of the Week, I guess. Or I guess it was this week, but mainly last week. Last week's Left POC of the Week. Um, and yeah. Just make sure also, I've been updating some things, so you can go onto the Patreon or the YouTube page. I haven't done Facebook yet, but Patreon and YouTube have updated um, recordings and information. Um, those pages are up to date, and then I will update Facebook perhaps over the weekend. Um, I've got some job application stuff I need to be working on, but other than that, um, and of course dissertation writing as per usual, uh, I'm going to have a little bit more free time to devote to the Left Pocket Project podcast. So be on the lookout. And of course to Podmas, be on the lookout. I hope that everyone is doing well, taking care of themselves and one another. Um, yeah. And check in for Podmas again tomorrow night. I'm going to double up at some point because last night I didn't do one. Um, So be on the lookout for that as well. All right. Take care of yourselves and have a good night. Bye-bye.